It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise to you only. Living God, we invite you to come. Fill this place with your presence as we've been filling this place with your praises, God. The psalmist says that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. So we believe that you're already here, that you're in the house, and we pray that you're in the house of the family of Bethany as well. In every home who is watching right now, God, as we can't be together physically, but we're gathered together with the people of God in many different places, we invite you to come and just fill our home, wherever we're watching, wherever we're taking part in this service, wherever we're engaging with the rest of the Bethany family, fill each place with the very presence of Jesus, with the life of God, with the love of the Holy Spirit. We ask you all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, amen. And all God's people said, I didn't hear you, amen. There we go, there you are. Hey, it's good to be here with you in the presence of God, uh, ready to open the Word of God and to think about the work of God in the world of God. We've been talking since Pastor Brandon introduced this, I think, uh, four Sundays back, uh, about a, a race that we're running. And races are challenging and races are difficult, and we want to kind of just draw some more sustenance and encouragement from the passage of Scripture we've been listening to, reflecting on. Hebrews chapter 12. Before we do, I want to talk a little bit about, about some runners, some other runners, well-known runners, at least that I can remember, maybe for some of you too far in the distant past for you to recall. When we think of runners, often we think of a, a guy like this, uh, Olympian Usain Bolt. But I'm thinking a little farther back in time and a lot longer distance of a runner, and that's Olympian Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan was uh, a guy who set the uh, world record, the last American to hold the world record in the mile run. He was the first high school athlete, if you can imagine this, the first high school athlete to uh, be able to run a mile in under four minutes. And then he was an Olympian as well, well known for his uh, running career. He kind of stumbled into this running process. He said, I couldn't do anything else. When you're cut from the church baseball team, the junior high basketball team, and you can't make the junior high track and field team, I'd go to bed at night and I'd say, dear God, if you've got a plan for my life, I'd appreciate it if you'd show up sooner or later because it's really not going well. And I found myself trying out for the cross country team and running two miles even though I'd never run that distance before. And all of a sudden, I made the team, and I got a letter jacket, and I started thinking that there's a girlfriend behind the letter jacket, and that's how he started his running. Well, he remarkably became the first high school athlete in 1964 to run a mile in under four minutes in the 1964 California relays, and yet going to uh, a number of uh, Olympic uh, uh, to, uh, to compete in the mile, 1964, 1968, and memorably 1972. Uh, at 17 uh, years, uh, he was the youngest American male track athlete to ever qualify for the Olympics. 1968, he had hoped to win and planned to win and was expected to win. He said, if I could run a, a, the 1,500-meter 
uh, in 339, I, I think I could win. He actually beat his goal. He ran a 337, but halfway through the race, a runner from Kenya named Kip Kenyo moved up from first position into world record pace and ran a 334, which record stood till 1984. He thought he had win. Some writers even attacked him who believed he had let his nation down. He said no one seemed to realize that Kenyo had performed brilliantly. And finally the, the year came in 1972 in Munich, Germany, where he was running the 1500 meter qualifying heat and he was tripped and he fell down. There was a foul that occurred but it wasn't called. He didn't even meddle. And so as you see in this race, he's there with Kenyo and ends up flat on his back the worst moment of his life, but as he called it later on, he called it the, the best day of his life because he had just turned his life to Jesus. He had given his life to Jesus, he and his wife, and they chose at that point to not make this the, the defining point of their lives and of his life together as a, as a legendary athlete, but as a starting point to learn to deal with the frustration, with the bitterness and with the sense of loss he has, which you experience in a unique way in a long race. These short races, they're over so fast, but he had this long race, and you and I are in a long race, and we can wear down during these races. Hebrews, 12's, Hebrews 12 gives us encouragement, perspective, to know how to run this race and how to succeed despite the challenges. So again, once again, we read together because as we read God's Word and as we do that more than one time, we begin to sense something of the, the rhythm and the pace that God has placed in His Word. And some of what God is saying begins slowly to become part of our lives in a way that is different from just kind of opening our Bible at a whim to a random place and reading a brief note and then moving on. When we listen to God's Word, and then we listen again to God's Word, and then we listen again to God's Word, then we listen again to God's Word, hopefully, over time, something of that repetition begins to work its way into our bones, our sinew, our heart, our soul, our spirit, and our body. And so once again, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame or scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him. Think about him, reflect on him, meditate on Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, what he taught, how he lived, what he's doing right now. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary. That's the danger for us in a long race, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You can do this. You can make it. Hang in there, he's saying. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children? Listen to this word. My son, my beloved daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Again, this word of encouragement, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because the Lord disciplines, trains, coaches, mentors, leads everyone he accepts as his child. So endure hardship as discipline. Understand struggles as training. After all, God is treating you as his beloved sons and daughters. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate children at all. Moreover, we, we have all had parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for us. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits, our spiritual Father, our Father in heaven, so that we can live? That's the goal of this training, so we can live life to the fullness. Now, our parents, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. And all God's people said, that's right. Later on, however, it produces a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make every effort, and the word here is, is actually translated a little bit more literally. It's, a, it's another running word. It's pursue, follow hard after, chase down. Chase down what? Living in peace with everyone and a life of holiness. Pursue living in peace with everyone. Pursue a life of holiness because without holiness, no one will see the Lord, and to see him is life itself. And see to it that no one grows, uh, falls short of the grace of God. We want everyone to experience it. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Now this race that we're in, and we've now reflected here the fourth Sunday on this race, it raises some questions in our lives the, the race that you and I are in right now, which, uh, again, is far from a sprint. It's far from the sprint that we really expected when we heard that we'd be safer at home for a period of time, a season. Could be as much as a week or two weeks or a month or two months. Nobody ever expected that. Next Sunday will mark six months that we've been in this COVID-19 time of concern and quarantine and safer at home and that process and it raises questions for us and it did in 
the time of the writing to the Hebrews. The first question it raises is, who's in this race? Who's running this race? Well, obviously, you, and, you are running this race, but also I am running this race. In other words, you and I are running this race together. And Pastor Brandon, I believe, in one of his messages referenced the fact that we don't run on our own. So many of the verbs in Hebrews 12s are uh, written in the plural. It's written not to you as an individual or me as an individual. It's written to all y'all, as we might say in the South, right? And so who's in this race? You and I are running together. And that brings some implications to, to the, our, our running. Letter A, we need to strengthen and encourage our running partners. We need to strengthen and encourage our running partners. He says, therefore, strengthen your, plural, feeble arms and weak knees. And particularly if you're one who may be a little stronger, have a little more energy, have a little more endurance that's built up, you need to be sure that everyone on your team is prepared, is able to stay in the race. There are people around you whose arms are growing feeble, whose knees are growing weak. I talked to a friend of mine uh, who lives in Oregon. He's a pastor there for many, many years. He's been a big influence on my life. His name is Rick Boya, and I asked him about the fires sweeping through Oregon, which I had a particular interest in. And he said there's going to be a, a need for a lot of ministry uh, in several of the, of the homes around the Medford area and uh, reaching uh, south from there to Phoenix and Talent, those cities. And then uh, even it's, it started in Ashland and swept up the, the Bear Creek and reached even the, the outskirts of uh, the city of Medford. Rick lives uh, north of this area on the way to, uh, uh, on the Rogue River. And uh, yet he has people who come from come to this area. My mom and dad lived in the city of Talon, lived in a wonderful double-wide mobile home, a park for seniors, lovely home. They were there for some 20 years. I've been there many, many times with them before uh, I saw that I needed to uh, uh, bring them uh, here to be closer to us in Southern California. Now they've passed away a number of years ago, eight years from my dad just a couple weeks back and three years from my mom. And that fire swept up this area right off the five freeway called Bear Creek, which I walked along and taken a lot of pictures of. Beautiful, beautiful kind of bike path that's prepared uh, for people to walk and to bike uh, on a trail that goes from Medford all the way through these other two cities all the way down to Ashland. A beautiful area, scenic area. There's wild, uh, wild blueberries that kind of uh, are beside the path uh, along this creek or stream or uh, river might be too strong, but absolutely beautiful area that they lived in. I thought I could, I'd walk a lot more if within walking distance from my home I had an area like Bear Creek. Well, this fire uh, took off earlier this week and just swept from Ashland to Talent and tore through the uh, Mountain Estates mobile home park where my mom and dad lived with many, many other people who were seniors and it wiped out, burned to the ground almost every home in that park. In the city of Talon, I believe there were a thousand homes that were lost, many apartments as well. Uh, in the city of Phoenix, the next city, again, thousands of, of uh, homes that were lost. And then up to Medford, and uh, they're coming up the, the road to, to where Rick lives, uh, near the, the road, Rogue River. All kinds of devastation, and I bring this up for, for a purpose. There are people right now who are going through difficulties that may even exceed the struggles that you are facing or that I am facing. And it's our calling to strengthen 
and encourage our running partners? What can we do to come alongside them? My sister heard about what took place uh, in uh, that area and called my mom and dad's pastors from uh, 10 years or so back who had invested in their lives many times as they were getting older and a little bit more frail as senior citizens, and Nate and Muriel Shin invested in them, and my sister made a donation to their church, Ashland Bible Church, to help them encourage them. Their, their home is safe, but there's been evacuations going on all over the place. So there's someone that you need to strengthen, something I need to encourage. Letter B, we must keep in mind that my race affects yours and that your race affects mine. What does that mean? Well, we, we see that uh, we're called to, to run our race in such a way that it helps the people around us. We talked about strengthening feeble arms and weak knees. Verse 13 says, make level paths for your feet. In our era, sometimes we say, stay in your lane, <laughs> right? Uh, and run a clean race. Uh, Jim Ryan, the uh, pretty obvious uh, 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 mile champion and then 1,500 uh, meter runner, widely expected to end up with multiple gold medals, ends up with one silver because people didn't stay in their lane. He was tripped. He was interfered with. Uh, how you and I run our race, how we conduct our race affects other people. Other people's, how they run their race, it affects us. Let her see. If we're running the race together, then we want to see to it and make that commitment that we will see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That's verse 15, the first phrase. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We don't want anyone right now missing out on the grace of God. One of the great stories, one of the great testimonies of this six-month coronavirus season, to me, has been watching the Family Focus ministry and uh, their ongoing times of prayer and concern and reaching out to the to the people who are uh, 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 partners in that ministry. And uh, one thing that happened early on is that they lost track of a young man named Neil, who's a part of our church family, and uh, people were very concerned. They couldn't get a hold of Neil. They couldn't find Neil. Nobody seemed to know where he had ended up, and they were concerned because in this time, in this season, you don't want anybody to be isolated or, or alone, and they couldn't track Neil down. And actually, a couple of weeks back, uh, after months and months and months of praying, because they don't want anybody to fall short of the grace of God, everybody needs to experience God's grace and love, Neil walked into the church office, and he had moved back into our area. He had lost his home early on in the coronavirus. He'd end up staying some time, spending some time downtown at the, at the uh, Union Mission in downtown L.A., where he was robbed of some of his possessions uh, on more than one occasion. People kept looking, people kept pursuing Neil, and my hat's off to them, and what a, what a joy to hear that Neil was still around, that Neil is still in the area, and that we can now continue to, to reach out and be sure that everyone experiences and tastes the grace of God. That's what our commitment should be as a church family, but also not just within the family but uh, with everyone that God has sent us into ministry to. Right now, as we've been uh, isolated from our campus physically, we've been released as missionaries, every one of us, you and I, not just staff or not, but uh, every one of us as ministries to ministry, missionaries to the areas, the homes, the neighborhoods, the communities that God 
has placed us in. And so some of our time needs to be involved in looking around for people and seeing uh, how they're doing. I have someone in our, my neighborhood that I uh, consider one of my neighbors. He lives a little distance around the corner from us, but I just try to check in with him and see how he's doing. And uh, I checked in on him this week and stopped as I was driving by and said, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay physically, but if you're counting mental health, I'm not so sure. And I said, well, you know, count me in as well. That's a struggle during this season. We need to be looking out for each other and saying, who can we lift up? Who can we encourage? Who can we be sure gets a taste of, a touch of, blessed with the grace of God? So two questions to ask ourselves. Letter D, ask yourself, what other runner will you strengthen or encourage today? People are weary in this race. It's not a sprint. It's not over in eight, nine, ten seconds. It's not even a mile. We're in a marathon. We're in a marathon, and we're running it together. We need to strengthen and encourage someone else today. Who will you reach out to? And with that letter E, how will you make sure today that other runners get fully drenched in the grace of God. Ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to open your ears. Ask God to open your heart and to put on your mind and your heart someone who needs to be touched with the grace of God. A young man who grew up in our church many years ago is now a pastor himself, Evan Sixon, in the, the city of Fullerton. And uh, Earlier this week, uh, I got a phone call from Evan. He just said, hey, God put you on my mind. I want to just reach out and see how you're doing. What a, what a lift, what an encouragement, what a blessing to share together, to be able to pray for each other. Who is it that God is putting on your heart that you alone can reach out to and have them experience something of God's goodness and God's grace? Who's in this race? You and I, we're in it together. Number two, question two, what is it that we're chasing for in a race? What are we chasing? When you and I understand the, the, the logic of racing, and, and yet this race, I believe, Hebrews 12 instructs us, instructs us, this race is all about our relationships. This race is about our relationships. Let me show you why I think that that's true. Letter A, we learn in verse 10 that our father's training, he's our coach, our life coach, and our Father's training, it's for our good, the writer to Hebrews says. And then he explains what that means. He says, it will help us to share in his holiness. It will help us, you and I, to share in his holiness. Imagine. What if this season of time that's so painful, so difficult... One of the most painful and difficult, I believe, we've had to go through as a nation. It's different, of course, from the anniversary we celebrated two days ago, September 11th, the 19th anniversary of the infamous terrorist attack on New York City, Pennsylvania, the Pentagon. That horrible time and that horrible sense of, of loss. And every one of us who was alive at that moment can tell you where they were when they heard the news or watched the first reports coming in, and it looked like a small plane had crashed into a building because our minds could not conceive that a massive jetliner could have done so, and then twice. This season that we're in, though, is long and challenging. What if 
God has allowed us to be in this moment, in this season, if you will, because he wants to see our lives transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The writer to Hebrews says that our, our training, our, our struggle that we need to understand, we need to have a perspective on our troubles and our struggles and our pain in that it's God's training for us. It will help us share in God's holiness. And, and because of that, they, later on in verse 14, it's interesting that in verse 10 he talks about sharing in God's holiness. And then later in verse 14, he then makes that an imperative. He says, you're to make every effort. In your race, you're, you're pursuing a crown, you're a, a reward. You're chasing down the opportunity to live in peace with everybody and to be holy, to, to live a holy life. J. Ramsey Michaels is a wonderful New Testament writer a student and teacher. And he writes that holiness here characterizes a person's relationship to God. It's a relational term. Do you think of holiness as a relational term? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we think of it in a, an otherworldly, just kind of a churchy, a Sunday morning kind of word. It's an everyday kind of word. An everyday kind of word. Holiness characterizes a person's relationship to God, a, a vertical relationship, if you will, to the one above whom we worship. Now, we should know this from just thinking of how Scripture talks about holiness. Back in Leviticus, which is a book all about holiness in specific spheres of life, God speaks and says, For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. There's relationship. There's relational history. And I did that, that I might be, he says, I might be your God. Therefore, he says, you must be holy because I am holy. We're called to pursue holiness because God is training us so we share in his holiness. Here's another relational word, letter B. Our Father's training will produce a harvest, we read, a harvest of righteousness. That's verse 11. Father's training will produce a harvest of righteousness. G. Ramsey Michaels again. He says these, these two phrases, righteousness, which is paired with peace, in verse 11, or justice, they have to do with a person's relationships and responsibilities to other human beings. It's the horizontal dimension of our life. Holiness is our vertical dimension of our life, our relationship to God, Peace and righteousness or right living are horizontal dimension of our lives, a relational word. If you remember when we studied from about a, a year uh, some time back, the Sermon on the Mount that Pastor Daryl Johnson suggested that we can translate that word righteousness, which sounds like kind of a, a, a technical term or just a spiritual word. He says we, we can translate that, understand that as right relatedness. It's a relational word, or right relationships, how we're intertwined, how we're interconnected, how we're in this race together. Our Father's training is said to produce a harvest of right relatedness, right relationships. Now, the reality is that for many of us, that this season, this coronavirus season, has produced anything but right relationships. 
and right relatedness. You have people getting in fights uh, at the entrances to Walmarts over the instructions to wear a mask to preserve all of our health. You have uh, individuals who are struggling to connect precisely because we're locked down in close proximity and we don't get out to see many of the other friends and family and church family, brothers and sisters in Christ and boys and girls who are part of the church family and we're, we're frustrated with this, but what if this season is intended by our heavenly coach, our heavenly trainer, to produce in us right relatedness? And we're bucking against this moment, this season, where we buckle against whoever frustrates us in the political realm, which there's any number of, of individuals to choose from. Isn't there from the federal level, from whatever the president decides or what the Congress or the Senate uh, uh, ends up uh, deciding or not deciding or not doing, and so, uh, on to the California legislature or the California governor, or on to the, the mayor of Los Angeles and the, the leaders of the county of L.A., we get frustrated with our leaders as if maybe it's all their fault, and we've got an election coming, and of course, as we know, once there's an election, once there's a big election, things get always just immediately better and smoother and well-run, amen? We'll see. Now, what we're supposed to do in regards to politicians, political leaders, governmental leaders, according to God's word, is pray for them. I think in my own life, I end up criticizing them, complaining about them, bemoaning what they're doing or not doing more than I pray for them. We're called to pray for our leaders. Our leaders have to make Im almost impossible decisions right in this season of time. And we see it with the struggles and with the missteps and with the movement forward then the retraction of movement in, in things as simple as just trying to know when to reopen Barber shops and hair salons, schools, churches. Bethany family, we're working on this. We're working on trying to figure out how we can get together in person in ways that are still safe and sane and maintain everyone's health. We're working on it. Keep your ears posted. Right relatedness. What if our Father is, has us in this season to transform how we connect to one another. We need to stand back sometimes and say, God, I need to not fight this moment. I need to welcome this moment as my Father is willing to train me in right relatedness. And similarly, let us see our Father's training is said in the same verse, verse 11, to produce a harvest of peace. And so not surprisingly, three verses later in verse 14, the imperative, you and I are called to pursue, to race after, to run after, to pursue what? What are we running to do? We think we know what we are doing when we're running. We're to pursue peace. Interestingly, Jim Ryan, the Olympic athlete, uh, a number of years later, I think it was 1984 in Los Angeles, was attending one of the ceremonies here at uh, L.A. Coliseum. And uh, they were so high, their seats were so high uh, in the Coliseum that they could barely see the action. So they're kind of watching more on the, the big screen monitors. And on that monitor appears the very official that came to him after he was tripped and disqualified in his attempt for uh, making the finals and 
his attempt for Olympic gold, the official that came to him and says, well, why don't you just run again? Well, he was 25 at that time. He was married. He had had a family. And at that time, you didn't get paid much, if at all, to be an Olympic athlete. And he felt such anger and frustration. Nobody listened to him. Nobody on the American team helped him. In fact, the only person who helped him, he went to a, the only lawyer he really knew, which was a, actually a sportscaster by the name of Howard Cosell. Many of you know that. And tried to get kind of reinstated and get justice and couldn't get that. And so he saw this man on the screen again, the same guy who had said, yeah, why don't you just sign up in four years and run again? And realized that God had done a work in his life and that he had forgiven this man and didn't harbor bitterness any longer in his heart. God is good. You see what the writer to Hebrews did. One writer says that we've just read in verse 11 that the fully trained person will receive the peaceable fruit that is righteousness. So the pursuit of peace then, he says, is a natural expression of righteousness. So in verse 10 and verse 11, you've got holiness. And in verse 14, God says, so pursue, race after holiness. In the following verse, verse 11, we're told that uh, we're to, uh, we'll experience this harvest of righteousness and peace. And then later on in verse 14, God tells us, you are to pursue peace. That's your goal. So what are we chasing? This race is all about our relationships. Who's in this race? You and I together. And finally, number three, what will it take to win this race? Hey, listen, if we're in a race, if we're in a marathon, what will it take to win this race? We must rapidly and ruthlessly yank out any bitter roots that, pardon the pun, crop up in our lives. This is verse 15. Now notice that, letter A, notice that in verse 1, as Pastor Brandon so beautifully walked us through this passage. In verse 1, this author has already instructed us. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles as we pursue peace. I want to show you another Olympic athlete. In fact, I'm going to show you two. I'm going to show you two pictures right here. Here's the first. And this is a, well, we have to go full string for this one. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, and this still won't let you, I, I think very, very few people are going to identify this famous Olympic, Olympic athlete uh, involved in one of the most famous events in Olympic history. And even if I show you this picture, you may not know how these two individuals are related well, the young lady on the left was an 18-year-old from South Africa in the 1960s running in the Olympics. And she was running against the legendary world's greatest kind of long-distance female runner who was America's Mary Decker or Mary Decker Slaney. The record breaker, kind of a, a person who was just expected to win. And again, in one Olympics, she failed uh, to do what she was expected to do, and so everybody knew that this next Olympic, they're going to be able to do this, be able to succeed, be able to win this race, run this race, and win it. But this young girl from South Africa, Zola Budd, as you notice, she's running in a very unusual way. She's running in bare feet, and she kind of tries to get ahead of Mary Decker Slaney and actually kind of cuts her off. And what happens next, if you ever happen to be watching it when you're 
uh, a couple years younger. Mary Decker trips. Mary Decker goes down, and she goes down hard, and she doesn't get back up. And here is the expected gold medal winner lying on the ground, and then one of the most famous pictures in Olympic history uh, is coming, just the very next one here. As she's on the ground, she looks up and realizes all of her hopes, all of her dreams are shattered because somebody cut in front of her and cut her off. Now, my mom and dad had a little bit of a connection with this runner as well because in their previous home in Eugene, where Mary Decker still lives, she lived there and trained, part of the Olympic and the Nike uh, family of runners. They would see her as they were out walking. They'd see her, a, a blur, run by them, and that was Mary Decker, and they ran into her from time to time, not literally, but they saw her as she was training. Her, her reminder is that there are things that can trip us up. And so again, the writer says, let's throw off everything that hinders. Let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Because let's clarify, let her be. This is so important. If you get nothing else from this passage, this message, I hope you understand this. Hear this clearly. Let's clarify, let her be. We can't, we aren't actually competitors, you and I. We'd be, we'd be trying to win the race. We're all just trying to finish the race. We're not really trying to win the race and beat somebody else. We're trying to finish the race. Interesting backstory of this famous legendary trip up is that Zola Budd and Mary Decker Slaney later in life reconciled and they've become friends. And that's the two women that you saw kind of at the beginning of this cycle of photographs. They just wanted to finish the race, and that's all you and I want to do. We want to finish our race. We want to be successful in not winning, but just finishing. It's that hard. It's that difficult. And as I say that, I think of a passage that I remember speaking to my dad in our last kind of moments together. Our family, Sherry and I, and the kids were able to kind of be there with him. He had fallen, and my mom realized it was kind of uh, getting near the end. Uh, already, but he had fallen and he couldn't get up. And while my mom and he were waiting for help in their home there in uh, Alhambra, uh, I said, what'd you do, mom? And she said, I just sat on the floor with him and held his hand. We thought back over the important moments in life, the wonderful memories that we have, the life that we'd lived. And he's there then in the hospital when we got there and our families gathered around and I opened my, my Bible that's on my phone was then and still is now, and to, I opened it to 2 Timothy 4. It's not on the screen or in your notes, but you know the passage where Paul, as an older, elderly, senior citizen, is saying, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I've left it all on the field, he says, and the time of my death is near, and I have fought the good fight. But here's the phrase that speaks to us today in the context of Hebrews 12 and this marathon that we're in. Paul says, I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And I shared this with my dad. You fought the good fight. You finished the race. I've, you have remained faithful. Now the prize awaits you, the crown of righteousness, right relatedness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give you on the day of his return. 
And then he returned, returning to Paul in the first person. The prize is not just for me, it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You and I are in a race, and we're in it together. But it's so easy in a race to have bitterness crop up. Uh, so let her see real quickly, we're going to just say five things about bitterness and this phrase to get rid of the root of bitterness that can mess us up. Let her see, let's realize where the roots of bitterness come from. Where do roots of bitterness come from that grow and harden and become uh, uh, too much of a shaping factor in our lives? They come from seeds of bitterness, right? That's where roots come from. Nothing becomes a, a root that didn't start with a seed, a simple seed. And, and you and I can't control the seeds that land in our vineyard, in our, in our lives, there are things that happen to us. There are wrongs that people have done. There are wrongs that we have done. And seeds are planted. There are injustices. There are things that happen that shouldn't happen. There are frustrations. All of us experience this. And any one of us who's trying to run in a race, we have a variety of frustrations that impact us. But the difference between a seed a root of bitterness and a seed of bitterness is that seeds is where it starts and roots is where it ends up. So what's the difference, letter D? What's the difference between a seed of bitterness and a root of bitterness? Two things. What turns a seed into a root? Two things. Time and growth. The time that that seed is allowed to sit in our soil, the soil of our heart, and then the growth of that seed until it becomes a plant. Now, I, I do a little bit of gardening. I'm not a great gardener, but it's a great joy and delight when something I plant actually produces a harvest, actually produces fruit. It's a wonderful thing. Nothing tastes as good as a strawberry you've grown on your own. We've planted some uh, asparagus in just the last couple of weeks. We've been able to get a little bit uh, more of it coming now. And again, a harvest is coming. Nothing tastes so good. But the weird thing is that stuff you didn't intentionally plan, it, it gets planted anyway. It grows, and you've got to be aware of it. Otherwise, it'll grow, and it'll take over the garden of fruit that you do want to grow. So letter E, we need to pay careful attention to our, if you will, inner vineyard. Inner vineyard. We need to ask God to help us kind of survey our vineyard from time to time. The field that God has planted, Paul tells us in one place, he says, you are God's vineyard, God's field, right? What's lurking in your vineyard? What's lurking in my vineyard? When we allow things that are not positive character qualities to not just be there in a seed form, but to take root because of time that's allowed and it grows. Letter F, we need to become keenly aware the writer to Hebrews says, of any bitterness in our spirit. And then we need to also time stamp, if you will. Time stamp when it appeared. How, how, how can you do this? I don't know if you actually can time stamp, stamp the moment things appear, but what you can do is when you're surveying your vineyard, you can look and say, God, I realize in my spirit I, I'm, I'm kept up at night or I'm woken up in the morning with something that still bothers me and yet it happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, that seed has now become a redwood in my spirit. 
in my heart, in my soul, in my life. How long have you carried this frustration, this irritation? You can't help in life but to get angry from time to time or to get hurt or to get frustrated. But how long should it sit there? Ephesians 4 tells us, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not wrong to be angry, but it's hard to be angry at the right thing in the right moment for the right length of time. But anger that just goes on and on then takes root and destroys your life. So letter G, here's the final point. Let's get to yanking. Let's get to yanking, a good biblical word. Let's get rid of the roots of bitterness in our life. Because if we don't, verse 1 tells us that two things will happen. If we don't get rid of this bitter root, it will, number one, hinder us in our race. It's going to hinder us in the race. It's going to keep us from, from making progress. It's going to keep us like Jim Ryan or Mary Decker Slaney. It's going to keep us from finishing the race. Or, number two, it's going to easily entangle us like Zola Bud's feet that got entangled with Mary Decker Slaney's. We want to get rid of that. We don't want that to be our experience. We don't want that frustration of not completing the race set before us. And then later on, this final verse, verse 15, tells us two other struggles that we'll have. Number three, it says it will cause trouble. If we don't get rid of bitterness in our heart, it's going to cause trouble. Who's it going to cause trouble for? Just two groups of people, I think. It's the people who are in the race, you and me. It's going to cause trouble for me. It's going to cause trouble for the people who are around me as well. And finally, number four, even worse, it's going to defile many. Now, I don't know how to unpack this exactly. I, I just know this. I don't want to allow anything in my life that causes trouble for other people, a lot of other people, it says many, and I don't want to do anything in my life that will defile a lot of other people. Let's come into God's presence and we'll have a closing song. Living God, we're all in a race and we realize we are in it together. We all have different experiences in this race. We all have different uh, ways that we uh, understand this race and go through this race. It's hard. We need to encourage each other, strengthen each other, make sure nobody misses out on the grace of God. And then we need to understand that this race has to do with our relationships, and God is trying to, to turn us into, transform us into the kind of people who are able to relate in an appropriate way, a godly way, a healthy way with the people around us. So we pursue holiness, a right relationship with God. We pursue righteousness, a right relationship with other people. We pursue peace because that's how God called us to relate. We all have frustrations. We all have things that annoy us, irritate us. God calls us to peace, to seeking to find a way to get onto the same page. Living God, would you help us to understand the race that we're in? You are the, the way maker God. We ask you to help us learn to interpret the moment that we're in, the season that we're in, the, the painful marathon that we're in as God's training, as God becoming our mentor, our coach, our leader. And God, we ask you to produce in us the harvest that will help us to fully experience life and help us in our relationships as well. 
May your grace rest on every single person who is taking part in our simulcast today. Fill us with your spirit, your grace, your holiness, your righteousness, and your peace, and help us to pursue it with everything we've got. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Oh, what a powerful word, powerful message. Isn't God is a promise keeper? And we want to encourage you to try that God today, that you would try God. For the things that you're standing in need of this week, you could call on him even now. And even though you may not see him working, you can trust and believe that God is working. God is working. There was one thing that Pastor Doug said also during a sermon this week. I want to let's in, we should be encouraged to encourage someone else in our week, right? Find someone to encourage with the word. Find someone who we can um, help. Um, and last week, normally uh, last week, uh, Pastor Doug forgot to invite you to give to um, the uh, goodness the um, thank you the fellowship fund. The fellowship fund. So let's you can help bail Pastor Doug out by giving to the fellowship fund. That's a way you encourage people in your week. That's a way we encourage those in our community who are falling on hard times right now and are in dire need. That can be done through our website. That's a way to encourage one another. Well, we're going to see you next week. We look forward to having you. But now let's pray and bless. Let me just allow, just allow me to bless you now. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and the peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord keep you. Until next time, God bless you. Amen.